Lovely to see you this morning. Uh, we continue our series on uh, spiritual leadership, uh, what it means to lead and guide God's people. And there are many of us in this room who, who are involved in that uh, in some way or another. And there's even more of us in this room who will be. And there's some of us in this room who have been. And you will be again. And so this really is something about us all. We, we call the series Format, and uh, that comes from uh, John Spicer, who's great with names and things like that. And so we call it Format because it's based primarily, no, not exclusively, in, in Matthew chapter 4. You get that format? Format of Christian leadership based in Matthew 4. I like that. It's clever. Very good. So I wonder if you'd open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4. Last week, and if you didn't uh, hear last week or you weren't around for last week's, I'd really love for you to, uh, if you get a chance, to download it and listen to it because it's foundational to Christian leadership. The foundation of Christian leadership is knowing who we are. Knowing who we are. Knowing whose we are. It's foundation. If we haven't got the foundations, it's very easy to, to be blown about. And so we looked last week at Jesus being baptized and heaven being opened and the voice of the Father speaking down upon Jesus saying, here is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. And we noticed that that was true of all of us. All of us who are Christians are in Christ. That's Paul's favorite way of talking about us. You who are in Christ. And we are surrounded and encased by him. So that when we stood in the baptismal pool here, it, we were standing inside Jesus at his baptism. And when we came to faith and we confessed our sins, it's as if we were encased in Jesus on the cross. And there we were crucified with him. Our sins crucified with him. And then as he rises from the dead, we're told that it's the first fruits. He's the first. And again, we are in him. And so we won't die. So we mourn personally a loss of a friend today, Tony. But he will not die. He will not perish. And right now he is alive and awake with God. I said to Hannah, I said, uh, gosh, my friend dies and we're doing the conga. My friend dies and we're doing the conga. And uh, Han Hannah said, yeah, but Tony's doing something much better than the conga right now. And that's true. We don't mourn as those without hope mourn. Know who you are. Knows Know whose you are. We notice that, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into this time in the desert. And we need to notice that, that hard times come. It's not a symbol of our sin. It's not God's displeasure. It often happens that God uses trial and desert to refine, renew, 
and re-strengthen us, to equip us, to pull away the things that we cling to and the, the things we put our trust in so that we will firmly and fully hold on to Him. And we noticed last week that at those moments of closeness to God, he was a man who'd spent 40 days praying and fasting in intimate contact with the Father, that there the enemy came. And so it is with us. We can be close to God. We can be in the middle of a worship service. And right there, the enemy turns up. And whispers in our ear, you're not really a Christian. You're a fake. I remember once being at a a conference and uh, I was on the leadership team of the conference and uh, up there with the the preaching team and I'd been doing a few announcements and uh, a great preacher, one of the greatest I think in, in the world, was uh, about to preach and we were singing uh, a, a, a worship song uh, before he came to preach. And I just felt God say to me, tell him that I'm pleased with him and I love him. And I thought to myself, I can't tell this guy. I can't tell this guy. He's written more books than I've had hot dinners. I can't tell him that he knows that. I can't tell him that. And this burning wouldn't go away. And so I turned over to him and I just whispered in his ear and I said, I said, look, I'm not trying to curry favor with you. I'm not trying to impress you. But I've just heard God really clearly and he won't let me leave it. And he's just told me to tell you he loves you and he's pleased with you. Well, this guy just started weeping. It's the song just before he's going to before he's going to preach. He starts weeping, and as the song starts to die down, and there's a little bit of prayer time, he whispers over to me. He said, "He said I've just had this voice in my ear telling me again and again this evening, you're a fake. You've got nothing to give. You're a fake." So he says, "You've no idea how important that is." Know whose you are. Know who you are. Because even in those moments of intimate communion with God, the devil rears his head. So we need to be on our guard. So let's continue in this series on spiritual leadership by looking at the temptations of leadership. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You see, the main attack there is if you are, know who you are, know whose you are. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, People do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are 
The Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. Let's pray. Father, we ask in your mercy that this word of yours would penetrate us deeply. It might soak into the very fiber of our being, into our marrow, into our mind and into our hearts and out through our mouths, out through our hands and our feet. Lord, through this word, would you inform us and would you transform us? Would you use these words to make us more like Jesus, to see him more clearly and love him more dearly and to follow him more closely? In Jesus' name, amen. I like to think I'm pretty good with temptation. Uh, I'm pretty good with, uh, with most things. Uh, this week, I've managed to avoid bank robbery. Uh, it came into my head, uh, and, and very quickly I saw it for what it was, uh, and, and didn't do it. Pretty good at murder this week, you'll be pleased to know. Haven't murdered anyone. Thought about it? Uh, the temptation came, uh, and uh, very quickly it, it dissipated. There you go. I can spot them. I can spot adultery. Uh, and uh, this week I haven't committed adultery. I can spot it. I can see it. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to say I thought about it, but I, I didn't. I've gone too far already. I'm only two minutes in. Two minutes in. I can see them coming. Pretty good with temptation. But, but then there are other temptations that are, are harder to spot, aren't there? There's the things that, that we want. They sort of fly under our spiritual radar. They don't look evil. They look good. Uh, and we want to pursue them. And we're not so switched on. It's not bank robbery. It, it, it's something else. Much, much more subtle. Here, here's an example. I, every now and again, I, I get told about a new Christian book or I get invited to a Christian conference uh, and the book or, or the conference promise really good stuff. Uh, they promise to make me more relevant, which is important to me. I want to be relevant. I, I, I want you know, to communicate with you. 
I want to talk about the truths of God in a way that you'd understand and would move you. Conferences that will help me do that. Maybe give me some great funny stories. Uh, and I love funny stories and I love jokes. Mackenzie's got some at the moment which I, I love to tell. I told the nine o'clock and half laughed and others were like, mm-hmm. can't believe them because they're like a little bit risky. Joe's already going, no, don't tell any. Don't tell, tell any jokes. Mackenzie's loving these jokes that, that, that he's got on a website. They're called Yo Mama, okay? And it's like, Yo Mama is so fat. I know I shouldn't tell these, but who cares? It's like, Yo Mama's so fat that she has to wear two watches because she lives in two different time zones. <laughs> or, or my personal favorite is, Yo Mama is so fat, her belly button gets home 10 minutes before she does. I, I like those. It's not very appropriate. So, sorry, I'm getting lots of shakes. <sighs> there you go. What can you do? So, uh, there's loads of things promising that I can be more, you know, communicative, more relevant, more funny, even. Uh, and that's exciting. I get offered to go to conferences. Uh, that will uh, help me do something amazing. Something really amazing in church. You know, put on the greatest spectacular show on earth. You know, work out how to do PowerPoint and sing the best possible songs. That, that this could be such a spectacular pace that people will, will drive in their hordes to. Gosh, I want that. Don't you? And then there are conferences that will help me be a bold leader. Preach boldly and lead boldly. Give me confidence so that when people stand up against me, all I need to do is spiritually kitchen boof. Because I'm such a strong leader. Wonderful. Lead boldly where no one has led before. Do something spectacular like nobody's ever seen before. Communicate so relevantly like no one has ever communicated before. I tell you you what, I don't recognize those as temptations. I don't recognize them as temptations until I come to this passage and a book written by one of my heroes, Henry Nouwen, or as posh people say, Henri Nouwen. Henry Nouwen. This book, In the Name of Jesus, is by far the best book on leadership there is in the world. It is 81 pages long, and it is treasure. Henry Nouwen uh, was a a, a Catholic priest. He uh, was uh, a huge intellectual. In fact, the spiritual classics on Spiritual leadership and pastoral theology have been written by Henry Nouwen. There's no two ways about it. Even Eugene Peterson comes uh, a second to Henry Nouwen, and he would know that. He is the finest teacher on what it means to be a pastor, a priest, or in any form of Christian leadership at all. He worked at Yale and at Harvard and Notre Dame. He lectured around the world He worked in monasteries, but he realized that God's journey to humanity was one of downward mobility. He left the glories of heaven 
and came down to earth. And he couldn't understand why in Christian leadership it's so different. It's one of upward mobility. He said, this is wrong. So he left the Harvards and the Yales and the Notre Dames and he went and spent the final and most fulfilling years of his ministry working in a home for the mentally and physically disabled. Instead of ministering to the thousands, he ministered to just one man as his personal carer. And in doing so, found God as he'd never found him before. Henry Nouwen, beautiful man. So these temptations come to be relevant, to be spectacular, and to be powerful. And we see them right here. So the first one. The tempter came to him, verse 3, and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Henry Nouwen calls that the temptation to be relevant because Jesus was hungry. We looked at this last week. The devil weaves a diabolically beautiful tapestry with our weaknesses and our strengths. He knows exactly what you're great at and he knows exactly what you're weak at. And he weaves it into a diabolically beautiful tapestry snare net to capture you. And so he comes to Jesus, knowing Jesus' weakness, he's hungry, and knowing Jesus' strength, he can turn stones into bread. We can't, he could. He's the one who turns water into wine. He's the one that turns a few loaves and fishes into a feast for 5,000. He's the one, actually, theologically speaking, who made everything from nothing. He comes with this diabolical net to capture him. And it's incredibly relevant. Henry Nouwen says, in one of his books, he talks about being on mission in Chile. And he was there in the early 70s when there was all kinds of political unrest and people were disappearing. It was a very hard time there in Chile. And he would come across children in the barrios, the slums, who who were starving. And he would cry out to God, God, why can't you turn these... Stones into bread. We felt like that, haven't we? But God's voice came and he said, people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father. Something more important than bread. There's something more important than our physical sustenance. And that's our spiritual sustenance. Our spiritual life is far more important. We can't see that because we're, we're things that touch, see, smell, hear, taste. But there's something even more important than physical sustenance, and that's God. The Word of God. Now, of course, Jesus was the Word of God. He was the Word made flesh. That's what we need. That's what the children needed in the barrios. They needed the Word 
made flesh. They didn't just need to know a few tracks or a few post-it notes with verses on. They needed someone to embody the Word, to live the Word, to preach the Word, to be the Word. To not just speak good news, but be good news. And so it is with me. I have a temptation to be relevant, to be funny, to, to get it right, to piercing the local news and the, the international news and be witty and urbane and funny and deeply relevant. Because I do, I want you to be touched by God's word more than I want anything else. But actually, that's God's business. Right now, he's here, touching one, two, three, speaking deeply, confirming his love, holding you, saying there's a way through this. It's good. I want to build the church, but God says I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. It's a subtle temptation, isn't it? To be relevant, to give you what you need right now. And we all want something, we all need something, we want something now. And Jesus says, what you need right now is me, Jesus. Wherever we are, whatever we're facing, Jesus says, I am the way. I am your daily bread. I am the word made flesh. You will not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father. It's beautiful. First temptation, to be relevant. Second temptation that we face in spiritual leadership it is the temptation to be popular by doing something remarkable. And we see that here as Satan takes Jesus and prompts him on the top of the, the temple of God, right on the top of Mount Zion. And you know what it's like as people... Uh, people are always going to look at someone standing on the edge of a bridge or standing on the top of a skyscraper thinking, what's going to happen? And it draws a crowd. And if Jesus was to throw himself off, he would be caught. He would have the power to fly. I mean, after all, after his resurrection, didn't he ascend into the clouds? Again, he had that power. And it would cause quite a stir. The Roman soldiers would open their mouths and throw down their swords. Herod would hear. Pilate would hear. How spectacular. He wouldn't just have to feed 5,000. He'd have to feed 5 million. What a spectacular thing that would be. And of course, I get, you know, invitations to conferences to, to see them where they make church spectacular. It's a real temptation to put on a show, to be the most popular gig in town, to be the most popular person at work. It's a real temptation that we have. And I'll tell you what's worse here. Satan takes the spiritual high ground. How about that? Have you ever noticed that before? Satan comes to Jesus and he quotes Psalm 92. He says, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Satan takes the spiritual high ground against Jesus. Now, if that happens to him, it can happen to us. In fact, Paul gets very concerned with all his churches because Paul is always on the move. He's on these missionary journeys. He'd stay at places two, three, four, five years. And he'd move on and he'd be really concerned and he'd say to the leaders, beware of wolves. Jesus talked about wolves. He said outwardly they're so nice, they're so friendly, they're flattering. But inwardly, inwardly, they're vicious wolves. Be on your guard. And you can't spot them because they'll take the spiritual high ground. And that's hard. Takes true discernment. Here's my tip. Listen to this. Sink this into your hearts. You'll need this. The way to spot a wolf from a sheep is this. Do they bind you or do they set you free? Do they bind you? Do they tie you up? Do they manipulate you? Do they rob you of your voice? Do they rob you of your confidence? Or do they set you free to be who God made you to be? Because Jesus always set people free. He was open-handed. But the devil comes to rob, kill and destroy. So here's Satan taking the spiritual high ground. It is written. And Jesus just very clearly and quickly gives him a word. He said, it's also written. Two can play at that game. I wrote it. But Satan does know his Bible better than we do. He doesn't know it better than Jesus. But he knows it better than we do. Jesus says, yeah, but it's also written. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. That is true. All that you have said is true, Satan. But it's also said, don't put into the test. I know. I don't need to test this. It's lovely. And then there's the third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. All this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. The temptation to be powerful is a big temptation for all of us to have power. Information is power. So to know is powerful. To have people do what you say is powerful. And here Jesus seems to tell us that's not the way for us. We are to be led. We are not to lead. We're to be led by God. Jesus ended up in the desert because he followed. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. We are to be led people. 
And we can only lead to the measure by which we are led by God and His Spirit. So what about us? What's the antidote? Well, Eugene Peter, not Eugene, Henry Nowen, says the antidote to this is to be found at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. He's been crucified, he's been resurrected. The boys are out fishing in Galilee and Jesus stands on the edge of the lake. It's a lovely picture in my mind because the boys are out there fishing all night and Jesus is like this with the fish. He's going, "Ah, the boat's over there, fish over here. Oh, the boat's over there now, fish over here. And he's doing this all night. He's keeping any fish so the boys don't catch a single thing. They're dredging, they're fishing, but Jesus is hard at work. Over here, over there, over here, over there. Unbeknownst to these fishermen, Jesus is there and he's got fish and he's cooking up a barbecue. It's lovely. And then he shouts out and they don't recognize to start with. They're, they're a bit slow or Jesus is a bit hidden. We don't know. And he shouts out. He says, try, try down in the middle. I'm putting your net over that side. No, 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 the other side. Yeah, that's it. And Jesus is there with the fish. Poof. And they catch 153 fish. So many that the ropes are tearing and the, the nets are, are breaking and they're trying to haul it in. And then the boys start to remember. They go, hold on, didn't Jesus do this to us once? Just right at the beginning. Don't you remember John? And John goes, it's him, it's the Lord. And Peter gets dressed because he's been naked. That's not a pretty image, is it? Fishing in your, in your birthday suit. He gets dressed and jumps into the water. Swims as fast as he can. The other boys are trying to haul in all their fish. But Peter's there. And they all come, and, and it's the most wonderful, wonderful word. Jesus serves them. The word there in Greek is aristo. It's the most beautiful word. He treats them like aristocrats. And he serves them. And he gives them fish that he's caught and fish that he's cooked and he takes Peter aside because there's business that needs doing because Peter's denied him three times he, he put his own comfort before Jesus he had a, a temptation to care for his own skin you know be relevant to be spectacular to lead and be powerful and not be led. And, and so he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus took him off to one side and he asked him three questions, one for each of the temptations. And they're beautiful. In my imagination, I hear Jesus put a different emphasis on each question. He says, do you, do you love me? Greek word is agape. This decision of the heart and mind and soul to follow no matter the cost. Do you, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, I love you. And Jesus says, tend my lambs. And then Jesus asks him a second time, again, this word agape, this decision of the mind and will to love no matter what the cost, even in self-sacrifice, he says, do you love me? Do you love me? This act of the will and mind that will constantly choose Jesus. 
Peter says, yeah, I love you. And the third time Jesus asks him, and there's a slightly different emphasis now, because Jesus says, do you love me? And the word he uses is the word filio, this brotherly, deep affection, as one feels for a brother who you love. Do you filio me? Me? Do you love me? And Peter's upset. And he says, you know all things. You know I love you. You know I filio you. I love you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. Love is the antidote. When we know Jesus, when we see Jesus, then we're safe. When we follow Jesus, then we're safe. When we know the word of God, the person of Jesus, then we are safe. I'm not talking about doctrines or dogma. People kill for dogma, but they die for their faith. I'm talking about faith in this person, the one who is love. We watch what he does, who he loves, how he welcomes, how he embraces, and even the person who disappointed him most, the person that denied him three times. He appoints, he feeds, and he loves. So Jesus just, turns to us this morning and he says do you love me do you love me let's pray Jesus I thank you so much for your word to us I thank you that you are the word, you are the truth. So in your mercy, we pray that your word would be truth to us. We want to respond to your question. Do you love me? And in our hearts, we answer. Lord, take away those desires to be relevant and practical before ever we look to you. Take away those desires to be spectacular and those desires to be powerful instead of being led. And Lord, put your hand upon us that we might go and feed your lambs. Tend your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen.